Quinn joining us shortly. He is the one that you may have seen wandering around with an adorable dog dressed up as Popeye. So he'll be here shortly. Okay, so um, you guys are here to find out how to use CBD with your pets safely. And one of the first things we're going to talk about is the AVMA and their stand on it right now. And um, and also, whether it, they distinguish between the cannabinoids, uh, if, if there's just a blanket statement or if they specify CBD. So, Dr. Bob, you want to start with that one? Sure. Um, perhaps, um, being from Wisconsin, I'm really a little more tuned into the Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. and, and they basically do not differentiate the fact that uh, there is even the 0.3% of THC in the CBD. They said, it's, they do not recommend that we use it. We do not talk about it. You just, you can kind of suggest, and that's as far as you can go. And so I think that's fairly close to the AVMA line at this point too. And so at this point in my state, it's pretty much illegal in my experience, it's just the use of CBD on myself and my two dogs. So I'm, I'm a lot more limited as far as numbers as probably these folks. Yeah, so the AVMA has said that veterinarians are not allowed to discuss cannabis and uh, cannabinoids, and that includes THC and CBD. That's the same as the California Veterinary Medical Association, uh, the CVMA, um, and the Veterinary Medical Board here in California. They've uh, explicitly said that California veterinarians are not allowed to discuss, recommend, or prescribe cannabis products, and that includes both CBD and THC. So, you can, so if someone asks you a question about CBD for their dog in the state of California, the law would say what, what could they do? So for practicing veterinarians, they are technically not allowed to discuss CBD, cannabis, THC. So a lot of times, uh, you know, we've heard feedback from a lot of clients that have said that they've tried discussing it with their veterinarians. Um, we have also gotten uh, mixed re responses. Um, some veterinarians do feel comfortable at least providing information because they see it as um, an infringement on their freedom of speech, really, uh, for them to not be able to provide medical information that would assist in the guidance of their patient's health care. Um, others have completely shied away from it due to the possibility of legal ramifications and have refused to discuss it uh, in any manner. So you are a practicing veterinarian in the state of California. Yes. And what is, how are you working with the state regulations? You know, I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's it's probably a combination of the fact that um, that I that I that I own a, a holistic veterinary practice and the fact that said practice is in Oakland. Uh, that I have a lot of people come into my office with questions uh, about cannabis for their pets. Uh, and, and, you know, legally speaking, it's a very, very tricky spot uh, for us to be in because, because the Veterinary Medical Board has literally threatened veterinarians with, with their license uh, if we have that discussion. That said, I think, I think as veterinarians, we need to, you know, on the one hand, we need to make a decision about 
where our primary responsibility lies. I mean, does, does my primary responsibility as a veterinarian lie with making sure that my patients are taken care of and they're not given medications that might be dangerous for them because people couldn't get appropriate medical guidance? Or am I beholden to the veterinary medical board to do what they say? So that is a, uh, you know, that is a very tricky conversation um, uh, and one that every veterinarian really has to, has to decide on their own what they're the most comfortable with. Uh, I think one thing, since we're kind of leading in this direction anyway, that's worth mentioning is um, the state of California is poised to have the first piece of legislation in the nation that would allow veterinarians to actually discuss the use of medical cannabis with pet owners. Uh, that bill has passed the legislature and it is literally sitting on the governor's desk. So we are waiting for that to be signed and should that occur, uh, at least veterinarians in California will be the first in the nation to have legal protections to be able to do this. And hopefully that, that leads the way for the rest of the country. Yeah, that would be amazing. So Ian, you are, you work with, uh, so you're the CEO of Fido Animal Health. Yes. Okay, so you provide CBD products. Do you ever work or try to work with veterinarians who have to deal with these laws? Yes, we do. In fact, our legal team is involved right now and our clinical team, uh, Dr. Robert Klosterman, uh, Liz Houston, Stephen Seitel, Dr. William Muir, uh, Dr. Tony Buffington. Uh, we are working directly with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Powers. Dr. Jeff Powers is one of the two heads of the American Veterinary Medical Association's Cannabis Task Force. He's actually very pro on cannabis. Uh, he actually almost quit the job at the AVMA national meeting because of their current stance. Uh, he does believe, as we do believe, that this actually puts consumers at risk because they're no, it removes the veterinarian from level of expert. And whenever you remove the veterinarian, the clinical expert from that position, you do harm. That's not okay. We're also throwing in the AVMA's face their own data. Their data suggests that mental well-being and health for veterinarians is very low right now. And most of that is because of financial constraints. Uh, we're even starting to see a rise in the suicide rate. This is a very high demand consumer item with great margins that the veterinarians, even when AB 2215 passes, that's Assembly Bill, the California Assembly Bill Dr. Rieger was describing, once that passes, they're going to do all the f clinical heavy lifting and not benefit financially. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's a bunch of BS, and we need to change that. So we are working uh, diligently mm -hmm. uh, to do that because the distributors out there, Henry Schein, MWI, Patterson, the big boys that supply the pharmaceuticals and other supplies to these hospitals, they want these products too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because many of them are using it at their homes, seeing it the benefit for their, for their spouses and their children themselves and their furry lungs. Yeah. Yep. Okay, next we're going to go into a topic that I am pretty sure you guys have, have already thought about. And it's what's the danger in giving THC to your pet versus CBD? I know that um, I've spoken with, with the panel about this, and, and to a person they've mentioned you know, the, the rise in pets going to animal hospitals to be treated because somebody gave THC to their pets. So, um, and, and we have a split panel on this, so. <laughs> to a point. Um, Dr. Shu, could you start us out with that one? 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, I always make it clear that THC is not a toxin. Um, animals' bodies and our bodies included actually produce an endocannabinoid that's very similar to THC called anandamide that's, necessarily f that's necessary for proper function. THC does have a lot of clinical uses and a lot of clinical applications, but what's important is that whatever product that we're using that includes THC be formulated and dosed properly specific for animals. Um, there is species variability when it comes to the endocannabinoid system. For example, dogs have a higher concentration of CB1 receptors, which is what THC interacts with in their cerebellum. So the cerebellum is responsible for muscle movement and coordination, and so dogs tend to be more sensitive to THC than other species like people. But that's not to say that they can't benefit from THC. It just needs to be formulated and dosed properly. THC's clinical benefits include pain, uh, muscle spasm, uh, anti-seizure, anti-nausea, and appetite stimulation, and it can also act as a neuroprotectant. So for the past four years that we've been doing this, the we've used the same formulation, and for every single dose, it actually contains small amounts of THC and a 20 to 1 CBD to THC ratio. So it can be used therapeutically and beneficially, but it needs to be formulated and dosed properly for the species so that they don't get any sort of negative side effects that can be associated with higher doses of THC. Okay, Dr. Bob, do you have a, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think um, I don't, other than uh, I don't have a lot of um, experience with THC mm -hmm. in a uh, therapeutic, obviously uh, I've seen a few cases of overdose that come in and that's Again, what he was referring to is the fact that uh, THC really has to be dosed properly for dogs, for animals. And, and it's not something that someone on the street should no, really be comfortable No, they shouldn't be. No. no, you can get into big trouble with yeah. the THC. Okay. And um, yes, Dr. Richter. Well, there's, uh, I, I think the, the, the question as it pertains to THC and particularly with the CBD and this, the discussion as well, there's, there's kind of a lot to unpack there. But, uh, I, you know, let me, let me just start by saying literally yesterday in my office, I had somebody come in with a patient that uh, a severe uh, epileptic dog, um, they were looking for answers. They had actually contacted uh, a clinical a veterinary neurologist at a veterinary school, and the veterinarian at the veterinary school told them that, that A, they really couldn't talk to them about cannabis at all, but they made it clear to say that THC is highly toxic to dogs and should never be given under any circumstances. And, and it's, it's so crushing to hear that come from a, a, from a university, from, from an institution that quite frankly should, should really know better. Um, you know, I think it's, it's worth saying that, that cannabis is, it is not, it is not a one dimensional thing. It is, it is, it is multiple compounds that occur all within the same plant. And to say that, CBD is cannabis or THC is cannabis is a little bit like saying that a tire is a car. It's, 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 it's a piece of a whole. And, and in many cases, you know, they, 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 they really should not be completely separated into their individual components if we want to get the highest value, the highest, uh, the highest clinical use out of them. So, you know, the, the, the question of whether or not THC should be given really is about what the condition is that needs to be treated. There are certain conditions that, that really would require a higher dose of THC where other ones would require a lower dose. I think the one thing that, that is absolutely worth remembering is that because, 
because THC is, is predominantly the psychoactive component in cannabis, and because that's the one that potentially you can get into trouble with if your pets get too much of it, that is absolutely the time for veterinarians to get involved as far as, as far as giving dosing recommendations. You know, the reality is, is I have a pharmacy full of, of Western medical pharmaceuticals in my office that if used improperly could harm an animal. Mm -hmm. That, and, and nobody's suggesting that those, that those medications be taken off the market. You know, we have this enormous problem with, with, with opiates in this country. Nobody is suggesting that morphine be stricken from, from hospitals because people need those medicines. It's just a question of using the right medicine for the right condition under appropriate medical guidance. All right, um, what have you got to contribute to this? Absolutely, so aside from the veterinary medical side, and I actually agree with the entire panel, that when you properly formulate the products, right, where you have a higher concentration or an equal concentration of CBD and THC, there is value. However, from the consumer standpoint, right, uh, not having access to the veterinary capability, uh, my standpoint is a little bit more towards the CBD aspect, just for pure safety aspects, but that's also for the cons mass consumers, right, buying products out of pet stores or dispensaries. Um, remember, these are not, these are retailers, they're not doctors, but they're getting questions, medical questions, all the time. That's why these guys should be talking about it, not them. But that's why they should sell CBD products and be very wary of higher THC, uh, THC content products. Why? Because the medical applications for that, the, comp the potential complications that could be there, right? So it, it's not a fear-mongering thing. It also partially is we have to look at what the laws are currently, right? What is a Controlled Substance Act listed product? One's not, right? So hemp is exempt from the CSA list, right? Especially non-domestics, so you get some advantages over the American domestic, which is crazy, right? Um, those, those laws are changing, that's why the farm bill and the, and the uh, hemp bill are coming. Um, but when we look at it from that standpoint, right, there's medical consumer application. So these guys are absolutely right on the medical. Um, and eventually I think we'll get to the point with quality control measurements put in place, GMP, GAP, and all that, good agricultural practice, good manufacturing practice, right? Certificates of analysis, right? Very critical to make sure we're doing it right and not getting a tainted product. Not just cannabinoids and terpenes, but also the other molecules that are in the plant as well. Are, are we looking at pesticides, fertilizers, and things like that? Because in the states where we have recreational cannabis or medicinal cannabis, the overdose issues are pure THC products, right? with chocolate, macadamians, and other very toxic ingredients that compound the fact and make it worse, right? So that's kind of my stance and our stance mm -hmm. on the consumer side, but I agree with the panel completely on the medical side. It's awesome. necessary. So let's talk about the biggest challenges you come across when it comes to treating a pet with CBD. What are, what are the, the, the different, like, stops that you come up like how do you know that you're giving them the right dose how do you know what to give them for um for a different size let's say who do you want who wants to go with that one i well, think these, these folks have a, a lot more experience in treatment than i do anyway okay i pretty much eliminated my two dogs and, <laughs> and myself i'll go first sure yeah um, so it is a tricky subject, and the biggest hurdle is that veterinarians that are in practice aren't able to discuss it. So if you're not able to get that information from your primary caregiver, 
where do you go? Um, because just because your veterinarian says, I can't talk to you about it, doesn't mean that a pet owner is going to stop pursuing the best course of treatment for their animal. Um, you know, this is all about improving quality of life. And they're going, you know, they've heard lots of great stories. Um, you know, they've read the news and they're going to try to do what's best for their pet. And so a lot of times they may go to other sources of that information, whether it be friends, family, or sources on the internet. And unfortunately, not all of those sources may be factual and they may be sometimes incorrect. And so that's one of the biggest hurdles is the education or the lack of education. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of veterinarians and a lot of veterinarians because they're not allowed to talk about it. Um, you know, they're even afraid to do the research and really look into uh, cannabis and how it can help their, their clients. Uh, but that is changing. You know, there is more continued education. There is more knowledge and awareness that's being spread throughout the veterinary community. I would say dosing is also something that is difficult. Um, you know, a lot of people have heard about the benefits of it, but when you go, when you talk about dosing medication, who do you go to? You go to your veterinarian. You ask them for guidance and directions. But when they're not able to talk to their veterinarians about that, then it becomes something that they're left in the dark. Um, you know, they're either left to uh, you know guess and figure things out on their own, or try to get that information from other sources like friends and family. And so what we've done is we've formulated a dose-specific product for animals according to their body weight, and we provide a guideline for dosing on the box and on the product itself, so that way owners know how much to give. And we also have veterinary nurses on staff, so if people have questions, they can always call us or email us and get answers to those questions. Dr. Richter? So those are, uh, those are all very, uh, really excellent points. And, you know, setting aside... Setting aside the legal challenges, um, you know, I think I, I think some of the you know some of the biggest challenges that 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 you know both pet owners and, and veterinarians face. Number one is um, how do people source a high quality product? Uh, you know, there is uh, you know the, the the CBD market has exploded in in recent years, and and quite frankly, here in California, even the medical marijuana market has exploded in recent years. And, and you know, whenever, whenever something like that happens and whenever there's a lot of money to be made, you know, you're going to have people that are getting into, the, getting into the industry to just make a bunch of money, and they're maybe not super concerned about producing a really, really high-quality product. Uh, and that is, you know, I've, I find that to be one of, the, one of the biggest challenges when people come into my office is, is they may have already purchased something. They went online. They bought a, a hemp-based CBD product. They went, to a, they went to a dispensary. They bought something. And the question is always... How do you know, A, that that's a good quality product, and B, how do you know that, you know, what it says on the label is what is actually in the bottle? Uh, and that is a really, really big challenge right now because, because, because the, the, there isn't enough of a legal framework and enough of an enforcement to, to you know, to make sure that, that people know that the product that they're giving is safe. And, and in that sense, you know, the, 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 kind of, the kind of advice, the kind of recommendations that I would give to people would be, you know, number one, anytime you're looking at a product, you know, demand to see a certificate of analysis. Make sure that this product has been laboratory tested to show what's in it as well as what's not in it. Because, you know, what, what you don't want is to give your sick pet a bunch of, a bunch of pesticides, aflatoxin, bacterial contamination, what have you. Um, the other thing I often tell people, particularly as it pertains to hemp-based products, because there's so much out there right now, the advice I give people is, Pick up the phone and call the company and start asking them questions about 
how is the product grown? How is it, how is it, you know, how is it extracted? You know, what's your manufacturing processes? Because the truth of the matter is, is you don't actually have to know all that much of the details about this. In my experience, if you call a good company and ask them those questions, you'll have a hard time getting off the phone with these people because they're so excited to tell you all of the great things that they do to make sure their product is the best on the market. The guy who starts hemming and hawing and trying to get you off the phone and give you a real quick excuse, that's the product you do not want to buy. Um, so, you know, look for somebody who wants to brag all day about their product, and that's the one that you want to look at getting. Excellent. Actually, that's a great point. Uh, certificates of analysis are essential, not just cannabinoid profiles, terpenes, right? Full breakdown of the pesticides, the chemicals, everything that could be potentially in there that we don't want in there. Remember, in 2012, we had a huge recall of jerky coming out of China because it was tainted with lead and other things. And so we, we are becoming a little bit more savvy as consumers because of that. And this is critical. Uh, but this also means uh, this takes leadership from the industry itself, right? As he, uh, Dr. Ricker mentioned, uh, I went to SuperZoo this last year, which is an industry show for pets for retailer, not veterinary, right? And there was 25 pop-up brand new companies that were white labeling off of white labeling. There's no control there. That's, and they're not showing certificates of analysis. No COA, no way, right? That's one thing you always want to remember because uh, that transparency is critical to know you're doing it right. Uh, now, actually, to some dosaging questions, though, I, I am not a veterinarian, but I do have a board of veterinary scientists and clinical advisors who are deeply involved in the clinical research that is taking place, and some of it that has been published. There's data. It's weird because the AVMA won't publish the data to their own people, right? It's, true. it's the stupidest thing ever. It's true. Because Cornell University, Cornell University, a prestigious university, they studied this. They and studied. We're going to have Dr. Bob speak to that. Perfect. I'll, I'll, I won't steal your thunder, my man, because there <laughs> is information out there, guys, specific for geriatric dogs and osteoarthritis. There is data coming out of Colorado for epilepsy. There is data. We just need to be able to get the access to these skilled experts so they can help us keep our fur babies healthy. Okay, Dr. Bob, you want to talk about the Cornell study? Sure. Um, there's actually a couple of studies now that are evidence-based medicine, that's, which is something that has not been done up till this point, and one is out of Cornell University. Dr. Wachschlag there uh, uh, had ran a, um, a study, I think it was a double-blinded and crossover study, which is considered, uh, you know, a good study. And basically, the evidence came out that it did help with arthritis in older pets and pain. And um, then the other study was out of Colorado State for epilepsy, in which um, I think her name was Dr. McGrath did the study on that and um, basically sh demonstrated that it does reduce seizures in dogs. So we now have some evidence out there that would suggest that uh, the CBD is a therapeutic product and that done correctly is a safe and therapeutic product. So that's something just coming out in the last year. So I think that will help change the paradigm. One more thing. Yes. I hear a lot about um, placebo effects. Do animals oh. have placebo effects? Well, part of this, I think, is how people interpret it. Mm -hmm. So yes and no. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, I think it's more people's interpretation could be placebo. The dogs themselves, probably not so much. I mean, you're giving them a treat, they like it. Yeah. <laughs> so if I could just, just, mm -hmm. just one quick note on placebo effect. I mean, I think it depends on 
it depends on what you're treating. So, so if you're looking at dogs with arthritis, yes, sometimes interpreting whether a dog is painful or not is a, is a bit of a subjective measurement. If we're looking at seizure control, that's a very objectively measurable thing. Either they've had a seizure or they haven't. So, so there, are, there are certain conditions which are much, much easier to quantify than others. Got it. And could, um, Dr. Shu, could you talk to why there haven't been so many studies on on CBD. Yeah, Happy sure. Um, you know, one, one thing I did want to mention is that um, the, the placebo effect is something very, very interesting. Um, when you look at it in the human world, the placebo effect is actually a real effect. So it's not just uh, uh, someone's perception. Um, when you actually look at the studies that have done, been done on the placebo effect itself, um, there is uh, something to be said about someone's mental perception actually changing um, the physicality of their condition. Um, so that's something that's fascinating about the placebo effect. I just thought I'd throw that, that out there. Um, but in terms of the studies that um, have or haven't been done in the animal world, you know, part of it's to, due to legality. Um, you know, if they're not able to get funding from the federal government to be able to study this, uh, you know, unfortunately, schools are not always very well off. Um, they don't have the money to be able to do it, and clinical trials requires money. Um, and so a lot of these clinical trials have actually been funded privately by companies that are sponsoring these trials. Okay. Now, what I wanted to do now is I would like for you to give me an example of a condition that would be best treated first with CBD or, or cannabis. Like, if you could say, if you had a magic wand, it's like, I'm going to give you cannabis before I'm going to give you a pharmaceutical. What would that condition be? <laughs> Any takers? Uh, yeah, for, for me personally, um, when we look at the pain options that we have, especially when it comes to chronic pain, there is a lack of really good medications that address chronic pain. And chronic pain is something that affects a large amount of pet population, um, especially older animals, you know, senior dogs, and even senior cats. When it comes to cats, arthritis is underdiagnosed. A lot of people don't realize that senior cats have some degree of arthritis. It's just that people think that their cats are laying around, um, you know, they're just getting old, they're just, that's what cats do, but that's not always the case. There's been studies that show that cats, especially senior cats, are underdiagnosed with arthritis. And for cats, they tend to be especially sensitive to a lot of the traditionally prescribed pain medications, especially ones used for chronic pain. And so we actually have a lot of cat owners that use it for arthritis and for chronic pain. And it's when we're looking at the, the safety profile of CBD and cannabis compared to the traditionally prescribed medications that we use for chronic pain in cats, it's a much, much safer profile. You know, uh, another really good condition to look at from that perspective would be um, would be animals with with various forms of stress or anxiety, uh, because you know the reality is is there really are no good Western medical options to treat these animals. You know, uh, you know. So, from a veterinarian's perspective, I mean, honestly, my options are I can put them on I can put them on antidepressants. I can put them on Prozac. Um, you know, I can put them on uh, you know on medications like that. And what would the side effect be for that? If you know, you classically, I, you know, in truth, I mean, the side effects profile of, of a drug like Prozac most frequently is um, sedation. 
Um, so it's not it, it, it's not an incredibly dramatic thing, but the reality is is that even if you put these animals on Prozac, it doesn't always work, and it doesn't it doesn't work spectacularly well. So um, you know when you're going to look at a, a condition that really does not have a particularly good answer from a Western medical standpoint. Um, you know, CBD can be incredibly helpful for these animals. I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I could not honestly tell you how many people I've had come through my office that, that have put their, their animals on CBD that have had separation anxiety, other forms of anxiety and report overwhelming results. And, and, and just, just a quick note, I mean, I'm somebody who's, who's a, a huge fan of clinical research. I mean, it, you know, I will be the first one to stand up and cheer when more and more studies come out. But that said, it doesn't mean that we should ignore the obvious thing that is right in front of us. Uh, you know, clinical research is great, but there are times when, you know, something is just obvious and you just have to accept it as you see it play out. So I know I'm not a veterinarian, so talking about diseases and conditions um, could be a challenge. However, let's look at what, at the uh, molecular level, right, the pharmacological actions of non-psychotropic cannabinoids, what do they do? We can find that CBD itself is a multimodal COX-2 inhibitor. It's extremely functional as an anti-inflammatory, right? The molecule itself, when we start looking at the wheel of cannabinoids, right, we can see CBD has the potential to be an immunosuppressive. So that might help with rheumatoid arthritis like it has with my mother, whose C-reactive protein is now normal and hasn't been for 18 years. So suppressing her immune system, we're talking the soft tissue. It is an anti-inflammatory. Get rid of the inflammation in the soft tissue. It's a bone stimulant. Strengthen the joint. Strengthen the bones. It's also an analgesic. It's also a vasorelaxant. What's CoQ10? It's antispasmodic. It's an anxiolytic. It's anti-epileptic. There's a few other things I probably shouldn't say because the FDA will get mad at me. It begins with a C, just FYI. Um, it's also anti-diabetic. And it's not just the oils that are this way and antimicrobial too, right? Reducing MRSA, E. coli, salmonella. So does the bedding and the materials made out of it, right? So why, why wouldn't we also make sheets for long-term care facilities or uh, sheet liners for our cages or our tables in the hospitals? Or how about we make the floors in the operating rooms and recovery area out of hempcrete? Again, reducing all of those other microbes in the presence of the environment. So when we look at that data, that's not CBD alone, too. We start looking at CBG, CBN, THCV, THCA, the 89 different cannabinoids. And guess what? This is why it's multimodal. In our world, we like to talk about the entourage effect. In the medical world, we call it multimodal. It's multifunctional. That's really what these are. Because CBN is also the bone stimulant. CBG is also the bone stimulant, right? THCV is also seen for being helpful for diabetes. So yes, there's a myriad of, it almost sounds like we're talking about snake oil, right? Guess what, the research is there. We have so much data on humans, it's kind of stupid, but you gotta remember, before we can ever test things on humans, what do we test it on? Preclinical research animals, right? We have a lot of data, guys. And this is actually pretty typical of veterinary medicine and human medicine. We'll study everything on the animals, we'll then go try and fix it in the humans, it'll create a market that will then eventually come back and brings back to the side. And as Dr. Ricker mentioned, the opioid crisis, right? There's a mass shortage right now of opioids in human and animal medicine. You have to remember that the manufacturers of these products are not following ethical practices. 
because when the DEA and the FDA came over and said, manufacturers, cut your opioid manufacturing by up to 70% over two, three years, where do you think all of the cuts went? To these guys. How do they manage pain in their hospitals if they don't have it? And not just don't have it, those distributors I talked about earlier, MWI, Henry Schein, they don't have it. They can't even sell it. And then on the human side, they go back and inflate the price and say, hey, we don't have enough stuff. 68%, 70% of that shortage went to the animal side. It's crazy. All right, uh, Dr. Shu, give me uh, a reason why people should be using CBD even if their dog doesn't have symptoms or their cat doesn't have symptoms. I mean, people use it. Um, proactively for a healthy lifestyle. Is that something that would be good for pets? So that's actually something that I don't necessarily advocate for. Um, the reason why is because we see cannabis and cannabinoids as being used for therapeutic uses. In terms of uh, preventative care and using it proactively, um, we don't have many indications to use it in that manner. Um, you know, certainly people do, but uh, in order for us to be able to do that in animals, I need a solid reason why. Uh, for us, we do have a lot of solid reasons to use it for therapeutic uses, but um, to use it proactively um, or to use it for preventative care, you know, for me, I haven't seen a lot of solid evidence to use it in that manner. And, uh, you know, until I see solid reasons to do so, then I'm going to continue recommending using it for specific clinical illnesses. Okay. Dr. Richter? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question. And, and, and I think you hear a lot about people taking, um, you know, I think that the current term is microdosing cannabis um, for endocannabinoid system support. And, you know, realize, you know, like every other system of either hormones or neurotransmitters in the body, there is a natural balance point uh, that our bodies achieve. Uh, and whenever you're going to supplement, uh, you, know, uh, you know, whether it's a cannabinoid or a hormone or what have you, you are potentially putting that system out of balance. And, and, you know, I think the, the, the question is, is, is there a benefit in doing it? And, and, and the reality is, is, as Dr. Shu said, I mean, I think we just don't really know, mm -hmm. number one, whether, whether, you know, microdosing for endocannabinoid system support is a thing that provides clinical benefit. And number two, what an appropriate dose would be uh, for an animal. So, uh, you know, I would, I would agree with Dr. Shu in the sense that I don't, I don't know that we have a clinical indication to recommend that at this mm -hmm. point. So it's probably better if for the time being it's, it's used for specific clinical, clinical issues. Dr. Klosterman? I, I would concur. I would, I would agree with both of them. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets ugly. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, actually, th there's a big difference, right, in medical treatment and supplement treatment. Um, supplements, nutraceuticals, right, these are things that you could take on a daily basis. So, I mean, we could say the same thing. Why would I take vitamin C? Why would I take calcium? Why would I take a multifunctional supplement? Why would I take omega-3, 6 fatty acid fish oils? Because uh, it maintains health. It really does. We know right now that when you get a balance of omega-3 and 6 fatty acids in a ratio of 3 to 1, more 6 than 3, that's clinically proven for maintaining heart health and brain health. Well, hemp happens to be perfect in that ratio all by itself. So I, I will differ from that and say, as a supplement, yes, we know omega-3 fatty acids are healthy. 
Now, another thing to that is what happens when our bodies become deficient in vitamins and minerals and things like that? If we don't have enough potassium, right, we can get diarrhea, we can get vomiting and really bad muscle contractions. So then I'll have to take a bunch of potassium supplements, really high dosaging, uh, double dosing, right, to lead it all up to get it back to normal, right? If I want to have that brain health, right, I have to eat omega-3 fatty acids. We do. None of our, it's called an essential fatty acid because our bodies don't make it, right? If we get enough of it, we then will make omega-6 and we'll make omega-9. So that, that's a little bit where I differentiate from them, but I do agree if it's for specific conditions, then you need your medical guidance. If you're looking for just general health and wellness and optimization, you're gonna need a product that's safe, quality controlled, doesn't have toxic things in it, um, that can be used daily. But okay, what do you feel are the best methods to get CBD into a pet? Is it topical? Is it a tincture? Is it a treat? Is it, you know, um, obviously they can't vape. So. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get this question a lot, and. Um, I will say uh, it's definitely not through smoking. It's definitely not through vaping. <laughs> um, please don't do that. Um, it, you know, coming from the uh, the cannabis world uh, and the dispensary world, um, you do get that question a lot. And uh, the reality is that animals' airways are remarkably sensitive, and anytime they're exposed to uh, smoke or uh, products through inhalation, um, that can be very irritating. Uh, that can be very dangerous. Um, some species are very, very sensitive. Uh, for example, birds um, and cats, they can have very sensitive airways. Not just that, but uh, inhalation is not a very accurate way of dosing anything. And so for us, when it comes to animals, dosing is everything, you know, and the accuracy of dosing is everything because you can have a five-pound dog, you can have a 150-pound dog, and you can't, you don't want to be giving them the same dose. You want to have a way of accurately measuring that. So for us, uh, oral methods uh, are the best way of ensuring that they're getting the dose. And for us, tinctures are the best way of making sure that you're able to accurately measure that dose time and time again. Some of the issues that we've seen with um, edible products is um, sometimes they, there's a lack of homogeneity, which means that if you have a product, an edible product, and you break it up into quarters, how do you know that each quarter has a fourth of the cannabinoid content? And so that's why in the uh, California cannabis market, edible products have to be tested for homo homogeneity to ensure that um, you know, there's not a, uh, you know, 90% of the cannabinoids are lumped in one end of the, uh, the, the edible product versus another. Um, tinctures tend to be blended more thoroughly. Uh, they tend to maintain that homogeneity, and uh, they're a lot more easy to accurately measure with a oral syringe time and time again. So oral tinctures is our preferred method. Dr. Richter, and with people, if there's two people that weigh the same and are the same height, taking the same amount of tincture might not act on them in the same way. How do you deal with that with, with pets? Well, well, you know, that is, that is a, a, a true statement. And, 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 you know, the pharmacokinetics uh, of, of CBD is interesting. And what I mean by that is, is how it's absorbed and how it gets into the bloodstream. So 
you know, for example, the, the studies that we have would show that orally ingested CBD, so CBD that has to sort of be processed through the digestive tract, is not actually particularly efficiently absorbed. Um, so there's not, so there's a, a, relatively speaking, a fairly small percentage of what was actually ingested actually gets into their bloodstream. Um, the feeling is, is that, um, you know, with a tincture or an oil, like Dr. Shu was suggesting, uh, you know, it, a lot of that can actually absorb directly through the mucous membranes of the mouth and get into the bloodstream much more efficiently. Uh, so you can wind up giving, you know, giving less CBD in milligrams per se and actually getting a, a, a better effect. But that said, there's always going to be there's always going to be individual variations, and and you know the the you know the the name of the game when it comes to when it comes to cannabis, and frankly when it comes to most pharmaceuticals is is you know you start you start at the low end of 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 your of your dose range, mm -hmm. and then and then you work upwards <clears throat> as needed. You know the you know the, the 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 preferential situation is is you've given too little rather than you've given mm -hmm. too much. So uh, you know it's it's just as, as simple as that as 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 people like to say start low and go slow. Um, so you know we just start at a, a at a, a dose that 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 you know is going to be safe, and if it doesn't have the effect that you want, then you slowly creep the dose up over time. And what are some some indications that they're taking too much? Well, you know, from C from the standpoint of CBD, I mean, you're, you're you're certainly not talking about any kind of really dramatic side effects mm -hmm. profile. I mean, worst case scenario, you might have an animal that is a little bit sedated, certainly not profoundly sedated. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not going to have an unconscious patient, um, but they might be a little bit more quiet. You know, a, a, you know, a little bit, um, you know, a little bit slower than you would normally expect. And 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 I think it's also worth saying, I have seen a couple of patients over the years that. When you give them cannabis of any kind, they have really profound gastrointestinal issues, vomiting, diarrhea, that sort of thing. And it does not seem like it's dose dependent. Okay. Like you could cut the dose in half and it's still going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for that individual, it may just be that cannabis is just not the right medicine for them. Yeah. And you would have that with other pharmaceuticals? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You see that all the time with pharma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if there's any questions. Anybody have any questions? Like, like, are cats harder to treat with CBD, or is it just like that the market hasn't spoken yet? Can you talk to me about kitty cats? <laughs> Ian? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, so from the mark, market side, right, uh, from the manufacturing side, you're right. A lot of companies are focused on dogs, um, not cats, not on horses, not on goats and chickens, which is kind of crazy, right? As they should, because they all benefit from it greatly. Um, there are companies out there that have created formulations specific to smaller animals, right? Um, that per serving, be it in an ML or a teaspoon, is got a, a lower concentration of the, of the cannabinoids for those smaller pets to mitigate any potential side effects and issues. Um, there are some companies, uh, ours included, that are going to be coming out with cat-specific treats that will be more enticing to them to enjoy and like. But again, going back to what is the most appropriate method for getting these into these pets? Um, look, there's an equal number of cat owners and dog owners in the United States, right? And about 50% of them are going to get the care and love they need. So it's actually a really big market. A lot of people, they, they focus on the dog aspect. Um, but the truth is you, you can give it to all those animals. They're going to benefit. Um, and then there's just different ways of delivering that, right? You can do the oral ingestion using fractionated coconut oil or a fractionated long-term, long-chain triglyceride, like sesame oil. 
because that will actually change how it's delivered into the body. Uh, medium chain triglyceride, right? That's going to come in through your digestive tract. It's going to go through the liver, first liver transport. That's the filtering of the product. So it still gets in the bloodstream, just not as much. But then if you use a long chain triglyceride, right, like sesame oil, this actually then helps push the CBD into the lymph system, bypassing the liver, at least first liver transport, not second. So actually, as I mentioned, uh, the oral application is ideal, especially if they can hold it in their mouth. So like, there's also pastes that'll do that too, where you can rub it into the gum like a toothpaste and make it much harder for the absorption, right? Dogs, cats, horses, you name it, you can use that. Um, but really it just comes down to, I think a lot of people just being so focused on the companion and the dog, you know, that side, from a market side. Um, from a clinical side, I don't think these guys would see why you wouldn't do it. So I'll turn it over to these experts. Does it have anything to do with the fact that cats are really picky and dogs will eat cat poop? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, 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 I think it's a great question, and, and I think probably the answer to the question lies more in just the, uh, you know, if you look at the, the pet market in this country, um, there's just so much more money spent on dogs than there are in cats. I mean, I think, honestly, it's just, it's where the marketplace is. There's no physiologic reason why this should not be a product for cats as well. What about other animals? And other animals also, although I think it is fair to say when you start branching out into other animals, so for example, a horse, physiologically speaking, a horse is a world away from a dog or a cat. Um, I do know some people that are looking at, at using cannabis in horses and they're getting very, very good results. Um, and, and interestingly, as it turns out, the, the per body weight dosing is, is orders of magnitude lower um, than it is in dogs and cats. So it's a, it's a, it's a, the physiology is just completely different. I can't give you a specific number, but, but basically what I, I mean, my understanding is, is, you know, at least 10 to 20 times lower. I mean, there are cases that I've, that I've spoken with people that they're treating, they're treating a, a you know, a 1200 pound horse with a dose that you might give a large dog. Dr. Bob? Yeah, and I probably yes. wouldn't try, uh, try it on a, like a food producing animal because we just do not know what's going right. on there. Yeah, because you don't so know a withdrawal period or anything with, yeah, right. with, with mm -hmm. production mm -hmm. animals. Or anything that could be, ed could be edible at some point in time. Mm -hmm. um, with that. Yep, and I agree with that because uh, I spoke with <clears throat> well, Tyson Foods. Let's just throw it out there. Um, we have data from other countries that have not banned cannabinoids from the food chain, yeah. right? Europe, New Zealand, and things like this. So there is data. It's there, not specifically to cannabinoids, but to hemp, the seeds, mm -hmm. the protein, the amino acids, the essential... Oh, there's so much in it, right? We do know that dairy cows, for instance, and goats that are given hemp seeds increase milk production. Right? For, let's say for a dairy cow, you can see 1.8 liter increase a day per cow. Now, that's coming out of information from New Zealand. That's not phytocannabinoids. That's just the seeds and the protein and the nutrients that are in the actual hemp product itself. Remember, we, took, we used to also feed this to our animals here in the United States all the time prior to the turn of the century. It was a cash crop for us. So they used to sleep on it. They used to eat it. They, we had all of that. And then we made it illegal, right? So it's really challenging to see it. Um, although I'll jump back real quick for the cat. If it's really picky, <laughs> put it on the paw. Just oh, there you go. Lick it, it off. Lick it up. Yeah. Dr. Shu, I would like for you to talk about when we were talking about dosing and, and not always more is not always better, the biphasic effect. And, and the bell curve that you were talking about before. 
Yeah, sure. Um, just to touch on the cat issue, uh, there's absolute benefits for cats. Um, you know, the product that we use is for dogs and cats, but um, we've actually had people use it for pigs, ferrets, birds, rabbits, uh, rats, um, and we've actually been working with horses and uh, have found um, a lot of benefits for horses too. Um, all vertebrate animals have an endocannabinoid system, so mammals, birds, fish, reptiles. Um, going back to the question at hand, the biphasic effect, um, what they've seen is when they're comparing uh, different CBD extracts, you typically have two types of CBD extracts. One is um, oil that's separated from the plant material and the resins of the plant, and you have what's called isolate. Uh, CBD isolate tends to be 99 plus percent pure CBD molecules, so we consider it a, a single molecule form of the CBD extract. Whenever you're looking at uh, more crude extracts, whether it be from CO2 or other methods of extraction, you tend to get what's called uh, full spectrum or whole plant extract, and what that contains is it contains CBD and a lot of the other minor cannabinoids that are found in the plant. It varies from strain to strain, but typically what we'll see is we'll see small amounts of THC, maybe some CBC, some CBG, um, and so there are other exotic cannabinoids like CBDV or THCV or the breakdown product of THC, CBN. And the studies that they've done is that they've looked at usage of uh, extracts that were isolate versus full spectrum extracts. And when we're looking at using isolate, you get what's called a biphasic curve. So at lower doses, you get less of a response. Um, at mid-range doses, you get an optimal response. And then at higher ranges, you actually get a diminished response. So that biphasic curve means it, it starts to go up and it reaches a peak and then it comes back down. And then when they compare that to extracts and products using full spectrum or whole plant extract that have more than just a CBD, they get what's called a dose correlative response curve. So instead of going up and then back down, it either goes up and plateaus or it goes up and then continues to go up. And a lot of people have noted that anecdotally when they compare using CBD isolate to full spectrum or whole plant extracts, um, but there are more and more studies coming out that are showing that effect. There needs to be more studies done because when you're talking about the different ratios, when you're talking about the different cannabinoids involved, um, we need a lot more research and studies done in that area. But the preliminary evidence and the studies that have been done so far do show a beneficial uh, effect when you're using whole, uh, whole plant extract or full spectrum extract compared to when you're using CBD isolate alone. And so that's the entourage effect that people talk about. Right. That's the entourage effect or the synergistic effect that people usually talk about. Any other questions? All right. One quick question and then we're going to wrap it up. When, uh, full spectrum, I'm sorry, um, subject is cancer. When full-spectrum CBD finds a cancer cell in the system, what happens? So I want to, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about cancer and cannabis. And what I want to say is that there's nothing that's been shown that cannabis um, cures cancer. Uh, we've seen some really interesting cases of temporary remission. We've seen some actual decreases in tumor sizes, um, whether it's on the skin or sometimes in internal organs. But we've never seen anything that's curative. Everything has been temporary. 
Um, now, in terms of the studies that have been done, they've done some different studies with animal models, mostly rats and mice, and they've done some uh, studies with cell tissue cultures, and they have shown potential interesting effects like CBD and THC either killing the cells, or preventing them from metastasizing, or preventing uh, increased blood flow to those cells. So there's some preliminary evidence about the beneficial uses of it in cancer, but so far there's nothing that's shown that it's, um, it's curative or what some of these people claim to be curative. Um, there is potential benefit, but there needs to be a lot more research. Some of the difficulties is that what works for one cancer type may not work for another cancer type. Um, and you know, that's why they have so many different chemotherapy pro protocols, even for the same kinds of cancer. And there's just so many different permutations that we need a lot more research to be able to say one way or the other. All right. Thank you very much. That's it. So thank you guys so much for attending and do your research. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.